Well, let me invite you to take your uh, Bibles this morning. Uh, we are in these great 50 days of the Easter season as we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, and we're continuing to look in chapter 20 and 21 of John's Gospel at some of these post-resurrection uh, events and occurrences, appearances of Jesus to his disciples. So we are in chapter 21 this morning, verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. Now this is the Sea of Galilee. And you could also translate that verse, Jesus showed himself or he manifested himself, he revealed himself to his disciples and it happened in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, and we looked at Thomas last week. Didymus, Thomas means twin. We wondered last week whether Thomas could be a twin. Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Nighttime was a very popular time for many people to fish, and certainly on the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee. Early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, or, or my dear children, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about 150 yards, or about 100 yards, rather. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have some breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord, and together let us say, thanks be to God. Well, it is amazing the things and the people that we remember from our preschool years and also from our early elementary years. One of the people that I remember that still stands out in my mind 
is the first pastor that I ever recall as a preschooler and, a, and as a child. His name was Carl Lunsford. Carl Lunsford was our pastor at our little church in Raleigh for about three or four years. He was a student at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, so he was a student pastor. He was a, probably a three-quarters to full-time student, but he was also the pastor of our congregation, lived in the parsonage that our church owned. And after he graduated, he went back to his native Georgia, went to a church right outside of Atlanta, and for some reason our two families hit it off to the point that I can remember on several occasions after they moved back to Georgia, we went down and stayed in their home and were their guests, and on occasion when they would come back to the Raleigh area, they would stay with us. Mr. Lunsford was a man who loved and relished and celebrated all of life. I mean, whether he was working as a pastor or just in the fun part of life, he just loved life. I remember that he loved sports. He played on our church's softball team. By the time we went to visit him down in Georgia, he was already playing on that church's softball team where he was pastor. He would have folks over, and of course this was back in the day of Sunday evening worship, after worship, occasionally he'd invite folks to come over from the church to his house. It'd be packed for a covered dish dinner. He loved working in the yard, and when we went to see him in Georgia, both occasions, he took our family, my parents, my brother and me, to Six Flags over Georgia. You talk about a man who loved a theme park and to love a ride. Carl Lunsford loved to get on a ride. And I can remember we'd stay to the end of the day at night when the park was closed. And my mom and my dad and his wife would rest while he would go with my brother and me and we'd ride every ride to the very end, even some rides that I was scared to get on. Oh no, come on, come on, we're going to get on this ride. He was a man who loved life. It didn't matter if he was doing his pastoral ministry, playing sports, chasing a ride at amusement park. He loved life. He cared about life. And for some reason, I thought about him this week as I was reading this text. Because in John 21, we get a resurrection story that shows us Jesus, the risen Jesus, as a man who loves life and cares about everyday life, of what was going on with his disciples. We meet here in John 21 a risen Jesus who is concerned about his disciples' profession, their career, their jobs as fishermen. We meet a Jesus here in John 21 who has 20-20 vision at 100 yards distance, and he could see those things that those disciples could not see about their work. Throw your net on the other side of the boat and you'll find the fish you're looking for. We meet a Jesus who in this text is very affectionate to his disciples. He calls them friends. Maybe a little better translation might be my dear and precious children. Have you not found any fish yet? And he shows very clearly that he desires to be with them and certainly with us in all of the simple and daily and routine affairs of life. Even those affairs of eating, preparing a meal, he was mindful to start the fire and put the fish on ahead of them. 
And I guess if we could meet a Jesus in John 13 who was willing to wash his disciples' feet, I guess we could find a Jesus in John 21 who was willing to get the fire started and the food cooking a little bit ahead of time. We meet a Jesus in this text who celebrates conversation with people who loves to build community and relationships with his disciples. We meet a Jesus in this text whose kingdom is symbolized by a net that is filled full of fish. It's interesting to me that we actually have the exact number. There were 153 fish. And that net symbolizes that kingdom of Jesus that can never be torn with all of the different races and ethnicities and socioeconomic statuses, the, different, the, the two genders, the, two, the many countries of which God's people come from, Jesus, the risen Jesus, his kingdom is an inclusive kingdom that welcomes every one of us and the net will never be torn. We meet a Jesus in this text who always sees the potential in our work. And in our service, far beyond what we see, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And we meet a Jesus in this text who, while we may not recognize his voice, we may not recognize his face at a hundred yards distance, we meet a Jesus who always knows our voice. We meet a Jesus who always recognizes our face at a distance far away, and we meet a Jesus who knows our needs long before we even recognize them. We meet a Jesus who loves us and cares about us and wants to be involved in our everyday life. So it doesn't matter this morning wherever our concerns lie. You've got a concern about your health. You've got a concern this morning about a family member, parent, child, sibling, grandparent, grandchild. You've got a concern this morning that deals with your job. Have you got a concern this morning that maybe even deals with what you think is kind of an unimportant matter, maybe to God, something that deals with a leisure time activity or a hobby or a recreational pursuit. You got something askew with a coworker or a neighbor or a family member. Or maybe there's some concern that you have in some community organization you're involved in. Or maybe there's even some concern in the life of our church. What you need to know this morning is that we have a risen Jesus who's always standing on the shoreline, and it doesn't matter how far away he is from us, he knows our name, he knows our face, he cares about the everyday matters of our life. He loves the same things you love. We meet a risen Jesus who when we cry, he cries with us. And we meet a risen Jesus who when we're laughing and smiling, he's laughing and he's smiling and he's celebrating with us. He cares about everyday life. Does the name Sister Jean Dolores Schmidt ring a bell with any of you this morning? 
Few of you, few of you know Sister Jean. Sister Jean Dolores Schmidt is a 98-year-old nun. She is the team chaplain for the Loyola men's basketball team. Let me just say that one more time in case you didn't get that. Sister Jean Dolores Schmidt is 98 years old. She is the team chaplain for the Loyola men's basketball team that made it to the final four back in March of the NCAA tournament. In case you didn't get that. She's 98 years old. She's in a wheelchair. She's the team chaplain for the men's basketball team for Loyola University. She's an amazing woman. Don't you ever say that God can't use you because of your age or your circumstances. You know, as the NCAA tournament progressed, her press conferences became more important and well attended than that of the coaches and the players. The press was showing up to hear the latest from Sister Jean. And she waxed eloquently and fielded questions on a variety of topics ranging from basketball to prayer to God. One of the reporters asked her if she thought that God was a basketball fan. And she said, oh yes, God is definitely a basketball fan, but he does like college ball better than NBA pro ball. Now, how she knew that, I don't know, except it had to be some form of direct revelation. And she went on to say, to back up that answer, she said, I say that because these young players are playing with their hearts and not for any financial assistance. That's why she said God likes college basketball better than pro ball. Sister Jean, you know, she... she she kind of reminds me that that situation uh, of a story that I told. Where is uh, Sylvia? Sylvia, I told at your dad's funeral. Uh, Sylvia Fuller, her dad and, and mom, Pete and Grace Carraway, were charter members of our congregation. You too, you're part of the charter member family. And one Sunday morning... I realized that we had an important church meeting that afternoon. And it was the afternoon of the Duke Carolina basketball game. And if you know anything about Pete Carraway, you know that that represented an immediate conflict. Because he didn't miss many sporting events with Carolina. So I knew it would be a conflict for Pete, and, and he and I were always going back and forth with each other. So on the way home, driving home, I called him. And Sylvia, you know, your mother always answered the phone, and whenever I would be on the other end, she'd say, Oh, Greg, hold on a minute, I'll get Pete. Because she knew when I called, I was after him for something. He got on the phone, and I said, Pete, I was sitting in worship this morning, and I said, I had a vision and God spoke to me, 
And he told me that he wants you to be at the church meeting this afternoon and that if you don't show up for the church meeting, Carolina might get beat in that basketball game. And then I really raised the ante with him. I said, Pete, I, God even, even brought a verse from the Bible to my mind, and it is, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And I'm just really afraid that Carolina's going to get beaten in this basketball game this afternoon if you don't show up for this church meeting. And Pete just listened very calmly. He didn't say a word. And when I had finished my little spiel, he said, well, I'm so glad you called because I had a vision in worship this morning too. And God spoke to me. And he told me that he wanted to watch the Carolina Duke basketball game this afternoon as bad as I do. <laughs> Doesn't that sound just like your dad? You know, I'm confident that if Jesus and Pete Caraway were still with us, they would have watched the NCAA basketball tournament back in March, if not in person, certainly by television or live streaming. Why? Because the risen Jesus loves life. He loves your life. He cares about the stuff you care about. You, you think he might not be a basketball fan. Maybe Sister Jean is right. And maybe she's right about he likes college ball better than NBA pro ball. We meet a risen Jesus in this text who really does care about your life and my life. But there's only one thing that the risen Jesus asks from us in return. He asks that we give him, and this is important, he asks that we give him a little trust and obedience in return given the fact that he's lived the same kind of life we've lived he understands life he knows it and it makes some sense that he might have some wisdom and some insight and some understanding about how we ought to live our life he just asks for a little bit of obedience in return see it's in the trusting response to put down the nets on the other side of the boat that the disciples come to see that Jesus is providing and issuing the instructions. They come to see that he is concerned about their everyday life. He cares about whether they catch some fish. He's got some food cooking for them on the beach. He is trying to build some community with them. He loves them. They're his little children. But understand that initially, those disciples do not understand that it's Jesus on the shoreline. He sees them. They don't recognize who he is. But because they're obedient, without yet understanding, the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's an unidentified, unnamed disciple. We don't know who he is. A lot of people have surmised that it may indeed be John who wrote John's gospel. But it's John who finally sees Jesus after they've been obedient. And he says to Peter, it's the Lord. Now you see, sometimes we have to move forward with an obedient posture as best we understand what God might be doing in our world or in our life before we see the confirmation of it. You could put it this way. If you want a good formula, if we got any mathematicians in the room, obedience 
often yields revelation. Not revelation yields obedience. Obedience yields our seeing God at work. If you go back to the very beginning of John 21 verse 1, it says afterwards, Jesus appeared again or he manifested himself. He revealed himself to his disciples. It wasn't that they discovered that it was Jesus. He took the initiative to reveal himself, but they took the initiative to be obedient. Now, let's be honest. You and I have a basic inclination. We like to reverse the process. We like to change up the formula. We like to say to God, hey God, map out the plan in its entirety. Show me step by step by step what you want me to do. And if I know for sure that it's going to come out all right, I might think about doing it. But I'm not going to move God until you show me. And that's not the way it always works. Sometimes we have to take the step before God shows us. So yes, we do struggle with obedience. We're a little rebellious when it comes to that. We're a little bit like that mischievous little boy in Sunday school, that five or six-year-old boy in Sunday school who just couldn't settle down. He was into everything. The teacher got on him a couple of times, and finally she just says, you sit down right there and you don't move. And the little boy had his head bowed, his lips were quivering, and he whispered back to his teacher, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. And that's how we are. We're rebellious. We want God to map it all out, then we'll think about doing it. But no, you want me to be obedient before I can see the full plan, God? Mm -mm. we're sitting down on the outside but we're standing up on the inside but notice just pay attention that this man of action Peter he's always a man of action and this man of insight the disciple whom Jesus loved if those two hadn't been working in tandem those two disciples and the rest of them who were fishing would never have had the joy of having fish and bread breakfast with Jesus by the Sea of Tiberias or Galilee if they had not obeyed in the first place. Sometimes you've got to take a step forward when you don't see the clear picture and to know that God goes with you and that later He will show you that confirmation of what He's doing. There's an old saying goes like this. It says, while God is in the business of getting us to heaven, His greatest commitment is putting heaven into us. God is trying to get us to heaven, but His greatest commitment is putting heaven into us. A part of that heavenly nature is realizing that the risen Jesus really does love life. He loves your life. He cares about your life from NCAA basketball to your family, to your job, to whatever illness that you're going through right now, to whatever challenge is happening in your life. He wants to be a part of every part of your everyday life. He just invites us to trust us, trust Him along the way.
And as the old hymn goes, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. And we're going to sing that hymn this morning. It's number 571.